are you uh, thawed out having been in Chicago at minus a million degrees? Are you okay? I've melted now, so I'm okay. (laughs) Extraordinary weather you're having. Yeah, it was. It was cold. It was seriously cold. And I think um, it got a bit surreal, actually. (laughs) Now, when it, when it's, when it, when the temperature rose yesterday and it was only only minus 15 and that felt warm it really felt like spring then you realize that okay that it was it was seriously cold um but but being swedish you must be used to uh, those cold winters yeah of course of course no i mean my, seriously minus 30 you don't really get in sweden either that's extreme um but uh it's uh i mean it was beautiful though it was absolutely beautiful the sun was shining and the the snow and everything but yeah you could you could just be out for a few minutes we had about 8 inches of snow here night last night yeah last night yeah i saw that <laughs> um which again was lovely but that that's the benefit of working from where you live uh it's uh, you can always get to work actually that's a downside isn't it you can always get to work no snow day exactly but it was pretty funny actually because i saw on on wednesday when the the polar vortex hit chicago with minus 30 um i had friends from london posting oh it's arctic weather in london it's minus two and i was like oh you gotta be kidding me (laughs) (laughs) and it was i was like texting them like no guys that's not cold (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the trouble is the whole of the UK grinds to a halt as soon as it, it reaches below zero degrees. And even a hint of snow, everyone panics. It makes all the front page news. They shut the airports. I remember one time in Wimbledon, uh, there was a centimetre of snow, I think. And I saw a, a couple uh, putting on snow chains on their car. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, if you've bought them, you've got to use them. Exactly, right? So I was very close to just telling them, look, guys, you don't need it here. Um, but then I thought, I'm just going to let them enjoy this. <laughs> so I just walked past them. <laughs> well, apart from the weather, uh, we are going to talk a little bit about product development. I l- launched a, a, a lip, uh, sort of a lip balm. I called it a lip treatment uh, this week. And congratulations. Thank you. Uh, and I see that you have been working and, um, you know, battling with a cleanser. cleanser, I believe. Yeah. I'm doing a lot of formulation. But before we start, can I just say, because I tried that lip balm, I think I tried it, the one you, you gave me once. Um, yes. It's amazing. Yes. It's really good. I like it a lot. I just want to say that. It's a very good. You're very kind. Tell me about uh, the battles you've been having and, and and what's caused them. Well, you know, it's I'm doing a lot of formulation, formulation work at the moment, which is amazing. I really enjoy it. Um, but I think I'm, I'm kind of partially my weaknesses when I do these things. I'm, so for the cleanser, for example, as, as you know, and probably most people, uh, if you work with surfactants and you want to create this nice thick um, texture like in a shampoo you need to add usually you add salt and uh, you need to kind of find the sweet spot of how much salt you you add because if you add 
either too little too much it will just um go very liquidy again um and i i i guess for me it's like i know i should be use the system and be like rational but i always tend to i start off by just trying it out like i you know i i add a bit of surfactant then i bit a bit of salt i kind of i write it all down but i it's really like to the part as we talked about before the art form of um of formulating or creating a product um so it's almost like cooking and i'm like oh a little bit of this a little bit of that exactly and it's an it's a nice way to work but the problem is obviously <laughs> that then you have to make so many iterations of it and i finally you know told myself okay i got to stop this so i started doing the the proper way um but even then it was very frustrating because i found the sweet spot and then i tried to replicate it and it didn't work so for those that the, the, those that may not know um what we're talking about here is is adding salt and there's something called the salt curve um do you want to just explain that to people because this is this is something that we do um as part of the SES and when we go and do sort of demonstrations to school children or STEM classes, we talk about this, this salt curve and, and how important it is because it does uh, represent something important in the formulation process. Exactly. So the salt curve is basically, um, you, say you start from zero, zero percent salt. So basically what you do is you create the formulation. If you want to do a cleanser, you create the cleanser with everything apart from the salt. And then there's different ways of doing it, but uh, either you split up the formulation into batch, smaller batches, or you can just gradually add salt. That's kind of how I prefer doing it. And you kind of see how the viscosity increases as you increase the salt, but you get to a point where, and actually that's why you should split it into batches and not do my way, because absolutely you get to a point where, say 1%, say at 1% is the 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 optimum of where you get a really nice thick formulation but then if you add 1.1 percent salt that whole collapses and the salt then um basically i mean not to get into all the colloid chemistry here but it it kind of it collapses the structure that has been formed between uh the surfactants and the salt and and it, it just creates a very nice structure um and then if you have more more ions in there it just um, the whole thing collapsed. Yeah, because what we're trying to do is we're interfering with that um, the charge uh, in um, in in the formulation, which is bringing the molecules closer together, which gives you the thickness. And then, as you say, if you then uh, add too much, it collapses, breaks down, and becomes loose again, and you've lost your nice thick texture. Exactly. Exactly. So how many iterations did you have to do? I've done 10. And I, to be honest, because I was so, the, the thing was, because I, I found, so I found the optimum, the sweet spot. And um, the problem was, as I said, I tried to reiterate it again, and then it didn't work. Um, so I think I just need to, um, uh, yeah, I need to do a, a few more iterations. But then I, I, to be honest, I got so tired, I, I cheated and I put in some... <laughs> some gum in there just to thicken it up because I was like oh my god well you know that that's not cheating that's just uh that's just uh your experience coming in there but you're right with with times of cheating because actually my my rationale is also I mean if it's so delicate to find the sweet spot so it's very difficult to replicate from one batch to the other just me making small batches 
you kind of probably need some gum in there or something to thicken it up. Um, so it's not as sensitive to exactly the amount of salt because, you know, that's my rationale anyway. Um, I agree, because if you're going to scale it up to um, a bigger production, if it is that sensitive, yeah, uh, that is a risk in scale up. Exactly, exactly. Um, and, and is this a new product for the um, Nini range or no, is it something else? Actually, it's... Um, so I'm I'm going to do something new this year. I haven't actually said this to anyone yet. So maybe let's long, let's be the first. The podcast is the first time I tell this. So I'm breaking news. Breaking news from Nini. Exactly. No, since I have so many brand ideas and I, I love the formulate formulating and just the creative process of everything, I'm actually going to um, release like mini brands this year. Uh, like a musician that releases albums, you know? So I have you yes. um, say a smaller range of products um, because, you know, as a brand, it's the formulation, but it's also the packaging and the, the whole story behind it, everything we talked about. So I, I have a few few um, in the pipeline uh, that I want to do. And I hope that the first one I'll be able to release if i want it should use that term in uh in march or end of february so in a month okay um and then i'm hoping so is but that the this, cleanser no it's not the cleanser so the cleanser will probably be around the summer if i stick to my schedule um okay yeah but so i i need to speed up that work because <laughs> i'm getting dined already <laughs> um but yeah so it, so it's for so that's what i'm i'm trying to do um so, so it's like very different takes. Um, that's why I'm doing a lot of formulation work. Um, but it's like different, um, different ranges, different brands. But they're, you know, obviously, I, I, I'm a small player, so I can't do like massive releases. But you know, I do smaller things and see how they go. So, yeah, join the club. I'm the same. <laughs> um, uh, and and have you? Uh, so you've got a cleanser. You've you've got the sort of the thickness right, and and the, you've chosen the the surfactants you want to use. Are you using a fragrance? Um, uh, are you using any actives? Yeah, no. For, so the, so this the cleanser. I'm trying. I'm making an. Ex, I wanted ex, like an exfoliation cleanser, um, because this is my view on cleansers. Actually, fair. If you, if you're just a person who doesn't use makeup, then if a face wash might be good for you, you know. But if you use makeup, you, you, pr in my opinion, I mean, if you just want to remove your makeup and as a daily, I, I prefer like an oil based cleanser because that actually dissolves the makeup better. I think. Um. I, yeah, especially with a lot of makeup now, with that 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 you know twenty four lasts for twenty four hours. Um, they have these formulations that are are quite substantial mm. you, a clean, you do need a cleanser to be able to break that down and, and take it off yeah and then um i mean it depends on your skin and and how but i mean honestly especially when it's been this cold you know it's quite nice to actually just use like an oil-based cleanser because it doesn't strip the skin that much um but then again, I mean, if you have very oily skin or if you have acne prone skin or so on, it might be nice to every now and then kind of have um, uh, a face wash. And that's why I want to put some some like exfoliating acid in there as well, because then it has a, a wider function than just an additional face wash. You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. 
And what are you going to call it? Um, I'll tell you later. <laughs> okay. Ah, good. Okay. That's great. <laughs> but yeah, so, so that's what I'm working on. Uh, so I'm, I'm, it's me and me and the salt curve right now. <laughs> uh, I have got a couple of products and we've been working on uh, a gel, a razor gel. Which... Mm, interesting. Um, obviously, obviously, being a unisex brand, we had to get the texture and the thickness and the application right for all parts of everyone's bodies. Yeah. Uh, and that has taken quite a bit of time. Yeah. But I think, well, I know that we've got there now because we're ready for manufacture. Mm. The difficulty I've got is that because my minimum order quantities are so large that uh, I've also run out of shampoo so i've done a big order of uh, shampoo which has got a slight change to the packaging and we're also running low on various other SKUs that we've got so the decision i have to make is do i risk the cash flow mm. and do a minimum order quantity of a new product or do I keep that and make sure that I've got enough stock of the existing products that are coming? Yeah. And then, you know, I mean, yeah, that, I, know. That, I think that's the same for a lot of brands. But but at the moment, I, I've got this formulation. I'd really like to get it out there. It's It's gone through toxicology. It's gone through safety assessments. It's ready for scale up and manufacture. But, but I just can't quite afford it at the moment. Uh, which is infuriating, really, because I've gone through the expensive process of developing it, and I'm very excited to release it. And as a brand, the media is always hunting for the next thing, and the pressure on you as the brand owner to keep releasing products is huge. And this will be the first mm. uh, major uh, additional skew that I've done, really, and since I started. Yeah. Uh, so I'm very keen to do it but also a bit nervous about um about overextending myself but see that's that's as a i mean that's a problem in any business right even for the big players but it's it's so tangible when you're a smaller player right because then you really you don't have much buffer um as exactly as you say and i mean it, to forecast and your sales and to manage your inventory is one of the i mean it's key but it's so tricky. It's so difficult. Um, and and it's so boring. <laughs> <laughs> I to, it's I, so boring. I worked years on, on uh, supply chain management. Um, but yeah, it, I don't, it, it is, it's more fun to do the product development, right? That's way more exciting. Yeah. If, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it's not, I, the, the job isn't boring for somebody in it, but if you, if you're the brand owner yeah. and you're, you're, you're thinking of new things all the time and you, you've, it, the exciting thing is pushing forward and where are you going next? What are you going to do? Where's the mm. market going? Sort of trying to forecast where the market's going or even trying to lead the way in a particular area. Yeah. Um, if you're, I, I, when you're small and you're still trying to say, right, I've only got this many of those. And if I do that, then my leading time is three months for packaging, three months for manufacture. So I better order that. And um, uh, it's it's not as interesting, mm. but it's essential. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. It's the, the operations, right? It's um, the day to day, uh, which is, yeah. I think it's by nature, if you're an entrepreneur, you kind of like the the startup phase and creating new things. And then once it gets to a, um, 
yeah, the, the day-to-day th- stage, then it's not as interesting. But I was thinking, I, one thing which I think smaller brands can do to larger, well, definitely can do and, and bigger brands can't do it. And that is to be transparent when it comes to cash flow, I think. I think if you're... Oh, interesting. No, but I'm thinking aloud here, but, I'm, you know, there's so many indie brands and especially now with crowdfunding and all the crowdfunding platforms, people are more used to um, hearing from the owner for smaller brands. The owners are more talking about how they set it up and, you know, they need to raise money to to start, you know, a project, etc. So I think with that, maybe people are more used to hearing of the issues behind the, I mean, the issues of the day-to-day operations i guess and cash flow and finances and so on and people don't really see it as um as necessarily a bad thing because it's so i mean it's so natural for small companies and startup companies to i mean cash flow is you know that happens to everyone that's a problem for almost you know any brand um sure so maybe that's not but but if you're a bigger brand i mean if l'oreal went out and said oh by the way guys we have major cash flow problems they can't do that right no, um, that, that that is right. But um, as, small, as a small independent brand, I think you can you can have a, another uh, discussion with uh, with with your customers and with with well your your community in general. Um, do you? I don't think I don't think it's massively transparent and open and honest. I, I know a few brand owners, and we and and actually we like to talk about these things because these are our real issues but mm. a, a lot of a lot of brands only talk about how uh how it's all fantastic and and they're growing a hundred percent a day and, mm. and then you get all these you know we're going to sell it for a billion and <laughs> um uh, and actually you don't really what what's supportive and what's interesting is talking to other brand owners about the real complexities and the challenges that you face because if you're trying to navigate it on your own it can be quite a lonely place but but yeah. if you surround yourself with with other brand owners who are open to having these discussions and and as as we both know we've met a few of these mm. over the past few months um it's it's a hugely supportive and um, essential part of of running a, a, any small business, but particularly our business, because our business is run on such sort of hype. Yeah, and you know, I think actually, if, I I tend to agree there because I have met so many other smaller branders, and and at a first glance, you would have think, oh, but they're competitors. Why are they sharing? Why are they talking about this? But actually. Again, going back to the music business, it's almost like we're different musicians, different artists. But but at the end of the day, you're doing your own thing. And I think, um, especially as smaller players, I mean, we're not no threat to each other, really, you know. Um, it's just, uh, I, so I agree with you. I think it's better to be transparent and kind of talk about those things and help each other out rather than, uh, yeah, just see, you know, if you see another smaller brand as a competitor, for sure, you know. Because it's a supportive community. The beauty industry uh, seems like it's huge, but actually it's pretty small, the beauty industry. And and yeah. already I'm seeing people who I was were dealing with in one uh, area have now moved 
uh, if not once, twice. And they're working with mm. different people and different companies. And uh, it, it's a nice feeling uh, to to be in that environment. Um, but I think there could be a little less bravado and a bit more uh, honesty when it comes to brand owners talking about the challenges that they face and the realities of of dealing with high street retailers or whatever it may be, because yeah, it's a it's a pretty lonely battle to to fight um, on your own. Yeah, no, I think. But but going back to to my point before, I actually think, I mean, that's a positive thing with social media. I think is that um, that transparency. And I've seen brands who who talk is very uh, very transparent in what's going on, um, and share things, and even share their product development process, and and so on, and really engaging. And at, at that point, it's almost like you're inviting the your customers, your community to to be part of the whole the whole process. And then if you say to them, "Well, okay, so now we're going to launch this, or you know, we need cash or something," I think it, I think it's a uh, it's an easier sell rather than just pretending that you're growing um, with 500% every second, you know, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I'm very transparent and too honest sometimes also. So. <laughs> um, well, listen, that's, that's um, a really interesting conversation about product development and, and also a conversation about transparency uh, between small brand owners and talking about the issues that we've got. Um I think we should leave it there, really, because I think we've covered quite a lot of ground. Yeah, I think so, too. And you better get back to uh, your 11th iteration if you're not 100% happy with your products. Exactly. I'm going to check the 10th iteration and see how it works. And then I'm going to probably do it 11th one, just because ideally I'd like not to use any gum. I just want to do it clean. With It's more hardcore to just do it with the salt, you know. Well, well, we, well. I, sh- I shall. We shall catch up with how you get on next week. Um, <laughs> exactly. Like Sam, I'm on my fiftieth iteration now. <laughs> yeah, it's tearing your hair out. Um, exactly. Keep warm, Katerina, and I'll speak to you next I week. Will. Yeah, we'll do. Okay. Bye. Bye. bye.